Hello, everybody. Turn this up in my headphones, Charles. Turning it up. Hello, 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 everybody. One and all, welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today, because today we are going into a whole new world of Game of Thrones television. Today is the day. We are literally here. It is in the late hours of the night, Sunday night, uh, episode one of House of the Dragon has just premiered. We just finished watching it. We're coming off of that experience, and we haven't even talked about the episode yet with each other. We figured let's get our first reactions out on the air, and that's what we're here to do today. Yeah, this is a rare opportunity. You're getting completely fresh Dylan and Charles with no idea what the other person even thought <laughs> at all. Right. Because, I mean, when we're reading one of these long books, there's going to be a little bit of exchange of texts. We save the juicy stuff for mm-hmm. the podcast, of course, for you wonderful listeners. But mm-hmm. here, I don't even know if Charles liked it. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited to hear his thoughts and uh, just looking forward to this conversation. Me too. It's an interesting era for Friends Talking Fantasy and the fantasy television world because, I don't know, Game of Thrones was just a huge influence for us, um, the show and the books. But I think it was really the show that um, kind of inflamed our passions for fantasy. Those early seasons are unlike anything I've ever experienced in popular culture. I know, Dylan, you feel a similar way. And now here we are. So many years later, experiencing House of the Dragon is a Game of Thrones prequel, if you will, a story taking place 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. And uh, it's it's um, it's it's good to be back. I'll say I'm excited to be back in the world (laughs) of Game of Thrones, new Game of Thrones content. I agree wholeheartedly, Charles, and. You know, we got to get into the true spoiler-filled discussion of this, I think. So I'm going to give my spoiler warning. If you haven't yet watched that first episode of House of the Dragon, this Game of Thrones prequel show, then now's a perfect time to go do that. Just an hour or so of your time, and then you can come right back here and get our fresh takes right off watching it ourselves. But anyway, if you haven't, Now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones. Well said, Dylan. Now's the time because we are going to embark on our episode one spoiler-filled discussion of the House of the Dragon. And, I mean, first impressions right out of the bat. I had fun watching it. I thought it was very well done, tastefully done, and I'm looking forward to more. I agree. I was captivated, Charles. Mm -hmm. I... You know, sometimes you watch a show, especially at the first episode or something like that, Mm -hmm. and you just, you're getting that urge to like reach for your phone or something just to do something else. Mm -hmm. 
I usually know I'm enjoying a show. <laughs> and I try I try to give the shows, no matter, even if I'm getting that feeling, you know, I, I don't go grab the phone. I try to give first episodes of shows a, a chance. But this was a show where I was not getting that urge. I was definitely invested in what was happening. I was uh, feeling like I needed to pay close attention and all of that. So that's, that's always a good sign, just first impression-wise. When I come mm-hmm. off the show, I'm like, oh, yeah, that just kind of happened. And I never really questioned the fact that I was just watching here, this and kind of lost myself in the show. Well said, Dylan. I agree. I think this show had the very difficult task of following up and having to live up to the expectations of Game of Thrones and say what you want about how Game of Thrones ended. The Everyone knows Game of Thrones. The pop culture sensation was so strong and so beloved. And to step back into that world is a bold undertaking. And I thought they nailed it. You know, 200 years I guess is not that much time in in Game of Thrones time because things look pretty similar, but you, you're going back to King's Landing, you're seeing the dragons, you're seeing everything, and it's like we never left from a setting perspective and from a production value uh, perspective. So I think that plays a huge part in my mind of how captivating the show was. It's so rare we get to just see a fully rich world and... Like we were, I was able to dive right into it where we left off from Game of Thrones. And that in itself, I think, is just a huge accomplishment for this show. Totally agreed. During that moment where you just see the dragon flying yeah. over King's Landing and you've got yeah. the Game of Thrones music in the background. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The, the part of me <laughs> that is so nostalgic for those early seasons of Game of Thrones and how excited it made me about the fantasy genre, I was nerding out a little bit. And... It's just, like you are saying earlier, Charles, it just felt good to be back. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a little bit of this sense, almost like that giant Balerion the Dread skull just looming over this show, meaning that <laughs> Game of Thrones, the original show, is like that giant dragon skull <laughs> just <laughs> staring down on it with all of the pressure and all of the weight of that. And sure. you can feel that <laughs> at times with the show. I even felt it, especially the way that they start where it's like, oh, this, it gives you that kind of uh, text on the screen, right? Right. And it's like, oh, this is during uh, Viserys's rule or whatever. And it's like 172 years before the birth of... Uh, Daenerys. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen. Right. And then, like, part of the text just fades away, <laughs> and all that's left is 172 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, Daenerys isn't in the show. Like, right. you don't have to make the show all of it relative to Daenerys. We know she's this legendary character in TV history now, and Amelia Clark did such an incredible job playing her. But I don't know. It was one of those moments where I was a little scared because I was like, <laughs> uh, are they going to make this its own thing or is this just going to be one of those? Yeah, like, I kind of get it. I mean, you kind of like this was the thing that happened to Game of Thrones. It's like all of a sudden you go from producing content for a niche audience in season one to the masses of 14 million plus live viewers towards the end. And then I think you've got this show feeling that responsibility to be like we can't just confuse people thinking like how does this relate to game of thrones if i'm just a casual Mm -hmm. viewer who's 
not really read the books, but like the shows and is coming back into it. It's like, what is this? It's like, oh, before Daenerys. Okay, got it. I'm here. And it doesn't dwell on it for too long. To me, this it's the scene at the end where uh, King Viserys is talking about um, (laughs) like the song of ice and fire. I'm like, bro, that's not for another 200 years. (laughs) Like we can. Charles, I'm sorry, I had the same exact reaction. <laughs> I was like, I was going to bring that up on the pod, too. I was like, uh, I don't really need this as the motivation for... And this is what prequels just struggle with all the time, right? Mm. Is like, you know what's going to happen. So when it's like, oh, her motivation needs to be that she holds this secret about how the Targaryens have to unite everyone and... It's going to be a White Walker fest out there. It's like (laughs) everyone in here is going to be long dead by that point. Daenerys will not know that secret that's being passed down for generations because of, you know, what happened to her family and that she was in exile. So this whole this secret has been passed down from air to air. It's like it doesn't matter. And we know it doesn't matter. So why is that the motivation here? It's it's very strange. yeah. I mean, I appreciated, like, the lore being built. It's like, I'm passing down one of these secrets, like a transfer of power thing. It's like, here's the king's secrets that you need to know. This is going to happen one day. But it was just presented in such a dramatic, like, huge way right at the end of the episode. And you're like, okay, like, I I see what they're doing. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And it's like you said, the prequel struggle here is real. I also think... It, it kind of reminds me of Star Wars in a way where it's like yeah. you kind of have to write carefully. There's continuity stuff now and lore stuff that you feel beholden to delivering on. And how do you tell a story in that same universe that's already beloved by fans but tell a new story mm-hmm. separate from that? And I think the show, apart from those two scenes at the beginning and the end, the book ends, I thought they did a very good job of of totally separating themselves from a Game of Thrones and telling their own story and it wasn't beholden on anyone that there was only a very brief like stark cameo and you know it was like very very small it wasn't like oh rickon action right (laughs) it's like i would like you to meet rickon (laughs) stark and you know it's like this whole like dramatic motif plays and everything it's like no 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 it didn't go that route at all this show intends to stand on its own as its own story and I think it's going to pull it off. I respect the move. Yeah, I think so, too. I do want to note that when when Viserys said, yeah, uh, it's called A Song of Ice and oh. Fire, it's like the guy might as well have looked to the camera and winked. <laughs> it was like so cheesy. It was. I was like, Don't do that. Yeah, they handed up bad. way too hard. <laughs> Right. But I I am with you, Charles. It seems like they're trying to ground themselves in this family and their drama within it, in the characters and their relationships to each other, even just things like the Hand the King, uh, Lord Hightower, and his relationship and rivalry with Daemon Targaryen. And Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, now we've got this situation where it looks like we're going to get Daemon up against our new uh, heir of heir to the throne and the first ever woman to be heir to the throne, Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen. So yeah. it's like that kind of 
you know, family rivalry and the drama between the people, that's going to be the center of this show mm-hmm. more so than this, the world is on the line type thing that Game of Thrones was centered around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's why it does feel like it falls a little bit flat where they end it with the like, and the world is on the line. It's like, no, it's not. Not <laughs> for a while. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, let's hear world, do maybe. Most of the show. <laughs> Yeah, but um, <laughs> most of the show stayed grounded in the in the characters' yeah, relationships. I agree. That's I what agree. this is going to have to do. You 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 nailed it, Dylan. It's like they they spent this whole episode. They did a really great job establishing that. Look, this is a patriarchal society, and there's a clear dichotomy between mm-hmm. the expectations of men and women in royalty, and it builds that up really well. There's the parallel between the tournament and then the queen giving birth. And there's all these things going on with Princess Rhaenyra and her relationship with her father. And it's all paralleled very well, explored very well, executed very well. And then just to end it with a song of ice and fire is coming is a prophecy. It's like, what are you talking about, bro? But <laughs> I mean, yeah. to, to bring it back here is this show is really about the inciting incident of this show in game of thrones it was when um the hand of the king died suddenly and unexpectedly right and now in this one it's naming uh princess renera as the heir apparent to the throne which is and at this moment is a very controversial move for royalty oh yeah definitely and it's it's interesting because how this all plays out, if you're familiar with the Targaryen family tree, you definitely have some spoilers that are going to play out, you know, the line of succession stuff. And I won't get into any of that. Um, it was something that I definitely was way more into back in back in the day when Game <laughs> of Thrones was going strong. Now I hardly remember any of it. Yeah, I hardly remember any of it. But there's certain things that I know like won't happen or will like you know those kind mm-hmm. of things so it's it's interesting in that sense but this is groundbreaking territory for uh, the world of a song of ice and fire and and westeros that we we have a woman being named the heir to the throne it as i mentioned in the episode had never been done before and mm-hmm. we also saw a very I don't, I don't know if easy is the right word, but a very easy opportunity for a woman to be named the heir at the beginning of the episode yep. during the sort of prologue mm-hmm. uh, prologue scene. Uh, and she is denied uh, the throne. That's the queen that never was. And I believe it's Rhaenys Targaryen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough with these Targaryen names. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're, you you're didn't put a little spin on them. Rhaenyra, Rhaenys is like, it's a lot going on. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a contrast. The beginning of the episode where a woman is denied that opportunity because of the patriarchal society. And then uh, the end of the episode, you have a woman being granted that opportunity in this momentous occasion. Yeah. And that's played really well. Like you said, it started with the prologue, which clearly indicated that no one by popular vote would have voted a woman to be the sit on the Iron Throne. And then now that King Viserys 
basically had no other option because even he throughout this whole thing was so adamant about having a son and putting a son on the throne and all of this. It was only when he had no other cards left to play and after Prince Damon kind of slighted him that he decided to make this choice. It, it, it didn't happen until the very last minute. So you wonder how um, convicted King Viserys was. But I thought that last scene in the in with the dragon skull there in the chamber was... I thought he played it very sincere, so I believe him. But, you know, it took his whole world crashing down on him and him to run out of all other options before he could see his own daughter as a suitable heir to the throne. And I think that was an important part of this episode and their relationship was to establish that. Totally agreed. And I, I think that what I'm getting from Venerys is actually along lines of what uh, Prince Damon Targaryen told him, which is, He's not a strong king. He's actually pretty weak from what I can gather. And he's not, I don't think it's even that he was looking to keep down uh, Renera or anything like that. I think that he just isn't one to think to go against convention or to right. do things differently. He's just not a strong leader. And this kind of got thrust upon him when he was already an adult. He's just not prepared for this. And He's making the best of all of it. I do think he was being sincere in uh, in that moment in front of the dragon skull as well. Yeah, you get those moments where Viserys is talking to like the hand of the king, for example, Sir Otto Hightower, and it's like this was it was your idea to make him the captain of the city watch, you know? Or it's like you're the king, though, bro. Like, what are you doing? And then his wife is in labor, and he's just desperately looking to um, the Grand Maester for answers and all these other things. You could tell he's not like this dominating, decisive presence. You could very much tell that he is a, like a peacetime king for all intents and purposes. Like, he hasn't been challenged too much. Uh, but he does a pretty good job, I suppose. Uh, no, nothing crazy's happened yet. We'll, we'll see in the aftermath of naming uh, his daughter the heir apparent here. Uh, but for now, I'm okay with with King Viserys. It's the character of Prince Damon that I, I had I had a hard time getting the, my pulse on this character. I enjoyed the character very much, but I was like, is this guy? Is this guy the bad guy? Is he compassionate? I think the answer is it's just a complicated family relationship, which is what makes the, all the relationships in Game of Thrones, and I can see them building here in House of the Dragon, pay off very well. What is your read on on Prince Damon, Dylan? Yeah, I don't know if he's just a straightforward villain or bad guy, but I do think he's the antagonist. Mm -hmm. And he is, you know, he's got some of these like Oberyn vibes just in like he's portrayed as very like lecherous but he's also got some of these Jamie Lannister vibes there's that moment where he's like sitting on the Iron Throne and I think about how right when Jamie first I assume well this actually happened before the events of of Game of Thrones but you know Jamie was there sitting on the Iron Throne when Ned Stark came in after mm -hmm. Robert's Rebellion so those kind of things he, he gives me those kind of vibes of like the morally gray character but at least at first is leaning toward being a bad guy like a which is where Jamie was definitely at the start of the show he's very 
well portrayed by Matt Smith. Like, I think he did an incredible job. Like, he's very charismatic and just compelling. Like, mm-hmm. when he's on screen, he makes you take notice, I think, more than any other actor is making you take notice of their character. So, yeah. Props to Matt Smith for the portrayal. He's an interesting character, and I do think he's going to be the antagonist uh, yeah. from here on he, out. He does draw you in, the performance. You don't know what you're going to get. Like, is this a moment where he's going to just fight a guy to the death? Is this a moment where he's going to show compassion towards his niece? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's hard to say. And he also... Unlike King Viserys, he's willing to act swiftly and with conviction. It's when he takes over the city watch, he gets all these men to rally to his cause. And he's got 2,000 armed soldiers that are devoted to him. And he built them up from nothing. And he went out and like and enforced the king's law on all these criminals very violently at the beginning of the episode. You know, it continues to promise on Game of Thrones um, tradition of gore and blood and guts uh which is great so that that all happened in those (laughs) scenes and um yeah (laughs) i could have done without at least one part of that uh i know the scene quote unquote raper uh i probably could have done without but yeah yeah to that gif of roose bolton with the sausage (laughs) oh god yeah so it was it was Interesting. It was a kind of weird scene, just the transition from him being like, we're going to show them. And then they're just out. It seems like killing people with reckless abandon. Uh, yeah. It's only later you kind of get the like, these were these were thieves and stuff. And we we're taking hands of thieves. Yeah, I was very and confused because like, like the way the scene is yeah. shot, it looks like they're just walking up on the town and just beating yes. up on anyone they could get their <laughs> exactly. hands on. It's like, how do these guards know who's a criminal and who isn't? Is this just like That's a square where all the people are criminals? And it's like, it's like, how did you know he was this criminal and he was that criminal? It's, yeah, I mean, I get that it was probably they didn't know and they just butchered a bunch of people, but yeah, I was left a little bit confused as to like the extent of how clueless they were you know do they just empty out the prison supposed to be clueless yeah the way that they because during the scene with the small council they weren't like you killed all these innocent people they were like that's not a good way to go about killing criminals yeah so it just it doesn't really make sense when you think about that they they're just running up behind people and like attacking them it's like yeah. how'd you know that guy was in a the thief in the late whatever? hours of the night it's just guards right grabbing over they could get their hands on and beating them up it's like okay i i think we needed a little more information before the attack so that we knew what was happening yeah. here because it just looks like she's beat up on a bunch of random poor citizens of king's landing but uh the the high council seemed to think that they were all criminals which was also confusing um but king viserys was flip-flopping that whole time he's like it was your idea well maybe it's a good thing well it's a <laughs> your idea well, uh, you know, a, a good presence might might help crack things down. Morality's been pretty low. Maybe beating up a bunch of random people will prove that. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, whatever you want, King Viserys. <laughs> Maybe it will. I'm sure people are thrilled. Oh, yeah. Well, I do think it goes to show that Viserys, he doesn't really have his finger on the pulse of 
of the council, of the city, of really anything that's going on. It seems like the guy's just been obsessed with trying to get a male heir. And all he seems to be thinking about is, okay, my wife's in labor. For some reason, I'm entirely convinced it's going to be a boy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like crapping on the maesters for (laughs) not being willing to tell me that it's a boy. Yeah, and uh, I'm planning this whole... have no way of knowing. I'm bringing all of yes. the kingdom to this tournament before the baby's even born. <laughs> it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, like you said, he's... I don't want to count no, your chickens before they hatch. Exactly. He's you know? too busy worrying about a male heir and worrying about his scale model of King's Landing. That scenery is like clay <laughs> yes. carving. Yeah, I think that's taken him a very long time up in his castle alone, <laughs> whittling clay into... Uh, <laughs> kind of hard to figure out what's going on in the streets when you're busy doing that but um it's good to have hobbies sure sure but he (laughs) calls a king needs hobbies charles that's well and you know what it looks very impressive like it would be funny if it was bad but it actually looks pretty darn good (laughs) so you got it better than joffrey would have yeah definitely joffrey's (laughs) only hobby was to torture people um but you brought up the tournament, and that is a very interesting scene that I think we need to devote some time to. King Viserys calls the tournament prematurely before they even know the sex of the child. The queen is still in labor, but he's called this tournament. And this was, to me, a very ambitious scene. Again, they had the dragons right out of the gate, which I thought was awesome. Also ambitious. But now they're doing this huge jousting tournament. And it went on for quite a while. And they had multiple joust fights. And the scene did a really good job of showing kind of the rivalries and unrest amongst all the houses represented in the joust. I thought it was a very clever scene to, one, keep us entertained by actually showing us some action. And two, showing us that this is... A nation on the precipice of like they're just at each other's throats and i thought for a first episode coming right out of the gate very good example of showing over telling there i greatly appreciated those scenes well said and the scenes look good beautiful interesting right and it's uh it was exciting mm-hmm. i felt like even just watching the the joust with Damon, and you get a sense another show don't tell moment. You get a sense of Damon's character where he swipes <laughs> out the horse's legs, yeah. And you're like, this guy will do whatever it takes. He's got some of that Machiavellianism, and you get the reaction of the crowd, just like this scattered applause, and mm-hmm. he just doesn't care. He's just no. out there doing what it takes to win, and. That's a great way of and you can see his he's also like than, particularly yeah. targeting the house of High Tower um, to right. try and provoke the hand of the king, who's also of the High Tower family. You know, everything is calculated and um, he's a bit conniving too. He's he's a bit of a of a schemer, but um, you know that's right. a good show he's of got his a character. little finger in him too. A right? little, yeah. Like that's. Yeah, not quite at that level, but you can tell it's some of that ambition. And he's got this attitude where he he's going to do what it takes to get himself on top. And sometimes that is causing some chaos. And it's 
definitely about pissing off Otto Hightower. Although some of it he seems to just enjoy <laughs> like antagonizing he yeah definitely, yeah he definitely likes antagonizing uh, otto and he asks for the favor of otto's daughter all right. this stuff so mm-hmm. you get the sense that he's just messing with him but we we get a an interesting scene where he's going up against sir Kristen cole yes and Kristen Cole, you see, has been dominating in the Jows, taking out Baratheons like it's nothing. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> good Baratheon and shout out. He does. Yeah, it Baratheon is. Baratheon right? getting the Provocator like, as well, because doesn't the Baratheon champion yeah. go to, um, I forget her name, but the one who was not, who lost the. the queen that never was. The queen that uh, never was. I do think it's Rhaenys, but. Because that's what Baratheon says. I would love the favor of the queen who never was. And then the king's just sitting there like, this is cool. (laughs) It's it's like, bro, what are you doing? Was he, had he, he was still there at that moment? He hadn't left uh, because of the labor? Yeah, he was still there. He was still there. Okay. Because that was like. Because there's other moments where I was like. Look, like, Robert Baratheon wasn't the strongest king. You know, maybe physically he he was up there, but in terms of his presence, he wasn't the strongest king. Mm-hmm. But even he, when, like, when uh, crap started to go crazy at the tournaments, he'd be like, all right, enough. Like, yeah. this needs to stop. And he would keep things under control. At this tournament, there's just people beating each other to death with shields. And I know at that point, Viserys was gone for the labor. But it's just like, there is no sense of control at no. this point in the... <laughs> and, no. and, and it goes well to said. show that this guy does not have the strongest fist when it comes to ruling. If, if Robert Baratheon has better like control over violence <laughs> than you do, well, that's not a great sign. Because Robert, remember when like the mountain, the hound were going at it? Robert was like kind of really into that this is one of the early episodes mm-hmm. of game of thrones oh yeah he was like uh, yeah a yeah, great when they're going at it after yeah and it's kind of cool you can tell robert as a fan of fighting was like oh i kind of want to see who wins this one <laughs> but he was like this is my kingdom i have to keep it under control so he stops it he does meanwhile viserys isn't even there and people feel free just bashing yeah. each other to how many shoot, like so. were like champion warriors important members of households were just at their heads bashed in over nothing at this <laughs> tournament because Viserys wasn't there and let's be real Robert would never miss a tournament for something like the birth of a one of his children that, well, he wasn't there yeah exactly that was that, like a big thing that like Cersei was pissed at, not because a tournament was going on but he went hunting Right? Yes, that he wasn't there during the birth. So it was like his tradition to go hunting during it. So if hunting gets his attention over it, you know the tournament would never keep him, uh, or uh, the birth would never keep him from witnessing oh, yeah, the never. tournament. So. Never. So but at least he'd be keeping under control. To his control. credit, when he heard <laughs> yeah. things were going south, he made an appearance. And this yeah. is one of the more intense interesting moments of the show where they parallel the queen giving birth to the real gore fest of the joust although i think it was a bit more gory in the birthing room than anywhere else in this season right well this harkens back to 
the line by the woman giving birth in that moment where she is she says hey the birthing room is our battlefield mm. so she says the child bed is our battlefield okay. we must learn to face it with I a see. stiff lip the moment she said that i typed it out in a notes thing on my phone i'm like that's gonna okay. be important later <laughs> like i just knew when well they done. said it yeah. and uh how right was i when that happened you know you could just tell they were building up to something crazy with this whole you know very much around femininity and and patriarchal society stuff happening so at that point i just started keeping track of it and yeah the child bed is our battlefield we must learn to face it with a stiff lip that was the that was the line and then here we are on the battlefield good job taking that down yeah so that's queen ama aaron and Mm. she is she's having a rough time when she's giving birth and we end up with this moment where the grand maester pulls aside Viserys and basically gets across she's gonna die no matter what but if we act now it seems like it was basically a c-section right right they just didn't have the technology at that point to actually have a person survive a c-section he said a father must make the impossible choice it's like oh the father has to make it interesting (laughs) maybe the mother has no agency not her not the right Mm. exactly and it it does go into these themes of a patriarchal society i feel like this is going to be a central theme to the entire show Mm -hmm. they do get at it with that Oh, it's the father's choice what happens to this woman's body. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, and obviously relevant to a lot of things going on uh, uh, currently in the U.S. So it's, I'm sure they weren't thinking about that at, at the time of. I'm sure they filmed that like a year ago or something, but yeah, it's yeah. very topical today. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's. It's a very strange scene, too, because I was watching it. It's hard to watch, and it's obviously supposed to be hard to watch, where she's, you know, they're like, hey, the blood loss is going to kill her, and they're just about to cut into her, and he's like, hey, don't be scared. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was just, like, watching this. I was just trying not to scream Get this woman some milk of the poppy. Yeah. Am I right? Like, what is going on? Why are they cutting? Obviously, it's all terrible that this is even happening to begin with and that the man is choosing what happens. But once that's done, why does she have to be awake for this? Yeah. That that felt like it was a choice for the show to make this this gruesome scene, but it actually made no logical sense when we know that milk of the poppy is a thing. From the original Game of Thrones. They mentioned Milk of the Poppy being like, we gave her as much as we were willing to without affecting the child. Yes, they said there was a line. It's like, we've given her as much Milk of the Poppy as we can. You know, they said that very early on. But to your credit, they could still have like, who knows, mercy killer even. Anything would be better than being like, um, you know, disemboweled alive and fully conscious you know like that's just a horrible fate for anybody it's like like if they gave her more milk of the poppy right then is it so quick acting on the child that like (laughs) before they'd be able to cut into her and take out the kid it would already mess the kid up Ah, maybe they already gave him too much milk of the poppy (laughs) that poor kid oh geez 
Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's a seg toward what happens with the kid. Unless, is there more you want to say on the on the birthing scene? Uh, not really. That was definitely the hardest scene to watch, and there was a lot of challenging yeah. scenes in in the show. There was uh, all kinds of violence, but that one, the betrayal, the like screaming in pain. Yeah, it was very very intense, and is definitely a moment that makes you uncomfortable as a viewer, but. Um, and to, oh, well, yeah, one go more for thing. it. Her moving around and all that during the during the C section, yeah. that had to be worse for the kid than giving her more milk of the poppy. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's my last milk of the poppy oh, take. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, there's no way, right? She's like, rightfully so, she's like trying to get out of this situation and she's squirming and all this stuff. But oh, yeah, I mean, these maesters, they don't know what they're doing. No way, no shot. Yeah, they just straight up butchered her and then lost the child, you know. It's all a crapshoot. And yeah, Viserys just kind of accepts it. I have a hard time accepting. I'm like, did something happen? Like, what's going on here? This is all very confusing. Um, They at least show the baby, like, stops, like, crying, starts coughing in the maester's arms. Like... They did show some of that, which I think was important that they did that, because otherwise I'd be like, I'm not just going to believe that this very important male baby just suddenly and unexpectedly died, you know? So at least they did show some of that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's Even all that say. felt like it still felt abrupt. Yeah. That they basically had that part where the baby is kind of showing a little bit of signs that maybe all is not well, but I don't know, like a... A baby coughing right after is that right. I, I don't know i'm no uh, you know like neonatal expert here but i'll say then all of a sudden she's just like at the funeral for the mom and she says oh i hope that those few hours that uh, uh my brother was alive were the happiest of my father's life it's yeah like, that's what? a good line that's how you're revealing that the but it's like wait that's how you're revealing that well they showed the, they showed the small body all bundled up so that yeah. was the implication I, I think that happened first before she, there was dialogue okay. But or I, I can't weird, remember. I thought. Yeah, it was abrupt. You might. You're probably right because I know they did show the pyre. But you're right. That was like the scene changed to just looking at the the pyre. So mm-hmm. you, yeah, but it's still kind of weirdly done. I felt like it was abrupt. Yeah, Viserys just accepted it very quickly and moved on very quickly. Um, but. It wasn't, the show's not really about all that stuff anyway. Viserys is not like a schemer. He's also not uh, paranoid, really. So the fact that he can just um, accept that and move on is nothing that I'm going to get too crazy over. But the funeral itself was a rare moment. Oh, what? You think what? like the kid being poisoned or something like that would be something that another. Uh, a more paranoid king might be thinking. I just, think, yeah, a more paranoid king would probably, stuff. like, kill all the, like, bed nurses and the maester and, right. you know, be like, it's your fault, you're all out to get me. <laughs> yeah. uh, for the sure. mad king would have burned them all. Yeah, exactly. Viserys, uh, say what you want about Viserys, he's not the strongest king, it seems like, but he is even keeled. Yes. And maybe if, if all of this 
air stuff wasn't going so awry and he could just be a peacetime king, maybe things would have gone really well. Maybe that's the kind of presence that you need. But obviously at the start of this show, you see all this trouble brewing and he doesn't feel like the man for the job. Exactly. Things are getting a little bit complicated. He's a bit out of his depth, but he sees, you know, he sees some promise in uh, Princess Renera. But during the funeral scene, there's some interesting things that happen. One, it's it's Renera that musters the courage to speak Dracarys to light the pyre, uh, not Viserys. And right. it was Prince Damon that was like, "Yo, your dad needs you." You should do something like he's waiting for you like go now and like a rare moment of compassion from Prince Damon that, you know, we were seeing him being a conniving (laughs) uh, cheat at the tournament. And uh, now here he is being like, you should go with your dad. He needs you right now. I like it's a good thing for you to do. Yeah, he basically has two moments of compassion and both are with Renera. Right. There's the first scene where he's giving her the giving her the necklace and he seems like he really cares about her. And then this moment at the funeral. So it does seem like he holds some legitimate affinity for his niece. It's just now his niece is in the way of him getting the crown. So we'll see where that goes. Exactly. That's kind of where we're left. Um, the power, the line of succession was made because Prince uh, Damon can't help himself but celebrate in a debaucherous way the yeah. death of this baby. Where it's like, bro, read the room. Um, you couldn't have waited <laughs> well, like a week room. to throw your debaucherous party. Um <laughs> I guess he just the dis- problem is he did read that room. He read the room full of the debaucherous party and his king's guard, and everyone wanted him to make a big uh, show of him still being the heir. He didn't read the larger room that was uh, his family and the overall sense of what was going on in King's Landing. But he kind of got, I guess, peer pressured into it a little bit. Everyone was telling him to make a speech, and he steps up and he says. Air for a day, right? Is that the line? Did you write that down? Air for Charles? a day, yeah. Yes. And that's savage. Yeah, right? We've so got the savage. queen that never was. We've got air for a day. It's People are really throwing around those nicknames, and uh, they cut pretty hard. That's, that's a tough one. Exactly. And it's... A poor play because obviously word gets to Otto Hightower, who of course goes straight to the king and is like, "Do you know? Did you know that Damon said these things about your um, short-lived uh, son?" And of course, Viserys he very rarely <laughs> makes a decisive decision out of emotion, but here he is right away having no problems because uh, he went to the bat for Damien multiple times. When a yeah. lot of the court was trying to scheme him not to, of like, he's kind of a loose cannon, he's amassing power, he's a bit confident and, and a bit overconfident, and you can't necessarily trust him. And Viserys is like, what are you talking about? He's my brother, like, he's cool, he's chill. And then it was the disrespect of his of his late son that finally sold him on 
this whole thing. And, you know, Viserys might not have been wrong. Like, would it have been the worst thing to keep Damon as the heir apparent and transferred secession? Like, probably not. I don't think Damon would have necessarily gone out to overthrow his brother. Maybe he would have just started acting like he was the king and stepping over Viserys all the time. But who isn't in that court? Well, it's the same situation that they were in before. Right. And the same situation that they would have been in if this was a girl instead of Mm -hmm. a boy and everyone lived. Damon had been the heir apparent for... A while they just kept trying to have kids and it was kind of figured that eventually he would but so i mean they would be in the same situation if viserys just you know took his time to grieve or whatever and then married someone else and tried for uh another heir while damon is the the heir apparent he just couldn't take the the really messed up uh, i guess like celebration of his the death of his family that Damon engaged in it really revealed a lot about Damon's character and I don't think he was gonna I don't think Viserys was worried that Damon was gonna kill him or something he just he thought that was really messed up and spoke to his character exactly it's it's the fact that You've got the all of the council whispering in his ear combined with his recent losses that incited him to do this. It, nothing would have changed in any other situation. So it, it just got really messy. And what I like about this conflict is that there's no like person who's necessarily wrong in all of this. Like there's no evil person. It's like Damon was promised the crown by all rights the way their patriarchal society works. He still has a claim to the throne. And so to not feel super slighted and disappointed and embarrassed and all these other things, you can't blame him too much for that. And then you have Viserys who also is like, here's a guy who just took 2,000 people, went out and killed a bunch of a bunch of maybe criminals in the city and then is saying all this horrible stuff about my family and like the worst part of my life. It's like, is this someone I want to pass down when I have a perfectly good daughter right here? So like, there's no <laughs> wrong answers here. What we don't know is what people outside of the king's court feel. And I think we're going to see more of that in the coming episodes because I'd be curious to know, you know, when Rickon Stark is pledging his allegiance, is he really by like supporting this idea or is he scheming? Are the Baratheons? You could tell they were kind of begrudgingly. I don't know if Rickon Stark, if he's got that Stark blood, is is much of a schemer, honestly. But right. I get what you're saying. The larger point of how are the lords of the other kingdoms uh, uh, or the other lords of the seven kingdoms how are they feeling about this shift away from their patriarchal society to name a queen the heir that's something that i'm sure a lot of these more traditional lords are gonna have reactions to Mm -hmm. and i think that's gonna be part of what our protagonist in Renera she's gonna have to deal with for sure i definitely think that's the huge kickoff moment is we're going to find out and it's going to be a real dicey situation for Renera to navigate and and it's 
you know, what was interesting with Viserys when he did announce when he did cast out Damon. Did you catch that moment where as soon as Damon turned around and walked away, Viserys was cut cut himself on the Iron Throne. Yeah. And that and it's like, okay, well, this is obviously foreshadowing the fact that by making this decision, he just set off this chain of events that's not gonna end too well for him probably. Um at least get bloody. Fire and blood. Fire and, and blood. Dragons. Yeah, he's got that red dragon that he rode off on, and right. we've got uh, obviously uh, um, Renera has her own dragon, and I don't know. We've got the prologue where she says the only thing that could destroy House Targaryen is itself, something along those lines, and right. we know this is going to be some some civil war action. It's just got to be based on all the foreshadowing here. Exactly. And to King Viserys's credit, he does say to Damon that, look, the throne is the most dangerous seat there is. And you have to be ready for that. And this is a huge burden. And um, oh, by the way, the cold north is coming. It's a secret. It's Good luck with it was that. also okay. A lot of that scene was kind of corny because it's also corny for him to be like, "You've ridden on a dragon, but the most dangerous seat is the Iron Throne." Yeah, it's exactly. Like, all right, all right, Like, just just say what you got to say. You don't have to make a big scene about all of this. And I will say though, I really liked how everyone was telling her at the beginning of the show that she smelled like a dragon because <laughs> I just think it's like a funny thing that. You know, we've had all these scenes with Daenerys riding dragons and, you know, no one's ever commented on something like that. But I, after they start bringing it up, I was like, yeah, I bet dragons do smell bad. And <laughs> I, right. Like at least they probably have some sort of charcoal to them. They're also like probably dirty. I don't think they're bathing a lot or anything like that. So I like the idea that it's like someone who just got a, off a horse and you're like, oh, he smells like dragons. Yeah, exactly, because you see, you smell like horse all the time. That's a very common right. quip. We hear it on The Witcher a bunch, but um, yeah, it's smell like dragon, and you know, you kind of wonder what that's like. And it also kind of speaks to how commonplace the dragons are at this point, where people are just. I know it's mostly like a one-off joke, but it also sets a stage where it's like people are aware of the smell of dragon because there's just like ten dragons around and. <laughs> in this kingdom and it's not unusual for a Targaryen to just be off riding a dragon like it's nothing when in the Game of Thrones original showtime the fact that dragons even existed was such a big deal no one was like hmm the familiar smell of dragon in the morning (laughs) now he's got like probably like dragon candles all this stuff going around well, dragons are so common. <laughs> I know. I like that they have the dragon wranglers. It's these two guys, an older guy and a younger guy, and they're all like covered in soot and they've got their big sticks. You know, there's, there's already some like little background character work going on with them that I thought was kind of funny. So all in all, what can I say? Great. Promising kickoff. I mean, is it a Game of Thrones season one, episode one? I don't know if anything ever will be. That ending, I was like, I need to watch episode two immediately. This was like, oh, I'll see what happens next week. (laughs) So, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely tuning in next week. I think it it did more than enough to catch my interest. And, you know, 
I think they played it a little bit safe, but I think they had to. And mm. this is like Targaryens and, you know, they're playing the same music and they're giving you these glory shots of King's Landing. And I think that in those ways, a little, little bit safe, a little bit safe. Yeah. Giving us all these small council scenes, right? It's, it's a little like, ah, oh, you liked all this, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and part of what I would, I would like to see, you know, new cast of characters, but... Here we go with all these small council scenes. They're yep. they're really skin snappy with each other with this banter. It's like, yeah. okay, uh, I mean, there are no Littlefinger Varys types in there. It's Mm-mm. it's not quite the same. But all in all, great episode and excited to see where this goes. And and also excited for the idea that there's going to be more Game of Thrones oh, Rise and Fire yeah. content coming our way. And, and maybe it's good to see I, that I, this I, show was up to the task production value-wise. Yeah. Like, it brought me right back. Like, I was totally convinced I was in the same King's Landing as Game of Thrones. I was in yeah. the same world as Game of Thrones. The continuity was, from a setting visualization perspective, production value perspective, absolutely nailed. So I know it's new showrunners, it's many years later, um, can be a hard thing to kind of recapture that magic, but maybe they got a similar team together or something because it looks like it could very well be just a continuation of this show uh, as it was. So in that respect, I'm very relieved and very excited. For sure. And here's what I'll say, Charles. Mm. If this was bad... And I don't, we're fresh off of this. We have no idea how the public is receiving this. So maybe, you know, maybe we wake up tomorrow and we're the only ones who liked it. But if this was bad, I think people would turn so quickly on this show. Just because they're still kind of at wit's end, even though Game of Thrones ended a while back with how poorly executed that ending was Mm -hmm. and how much people didn't like it. If this first episode came out bad, this show would be done. Like no one would even be tuning in for episode two. And it I would don't be a laughing think we'll stock. see. Maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll eat my words. But I, I got the sense this is something that people probably will enjoy if they were Game of Thrones fans for the original. And I think a lot of people will be tuning in next week and for the rest of this season. And for that, you just have to give it up to them. Assuming for I'm sure. not wrong. For I, sure. I, I'll be I mean, at this point, I'd recommend this episode to Game of Thrones fans. Yeah. No problem. And uh, there's even a fantasy fan. Like, you're not going to get this kind of wonderful production value. Like you said, Dylan, this, like, engrossing show. Even one episode. It's like, you're just not going to get that most places. It's such a hard thing to pull off in fantasy television. And, um, yeah, it's... It, it sets a very strong precedent for the season. I'm excited to see where all the conflict starts to arise, uh, n- how the politics kind of shows you their cards and, and plays out. I'm very interested in, and maybe we'll get a fun battle scene or two. But for now, very strong, solid ground, strong foundation for the show. 
Yeah, and lays a strong foundation for us to keep talking about the show <laughs> as it keeps going. I'm sure we'll be bringing you more content about House of the Dragon moving forward. But move forward we must because Ooh. we're getting close to that hour, Charles. <laughs> and I don't think, yeah, I, I think it's almost rude of us if we make an episode of FDF that's longer than the actual episode <laughs> <laughs> that we're well, talking we just about. Have so of much House to of analyze. The Dragon. And unpack and yes. deconstruct. No, no, no. You're right, Dylan. We, we've <laughs> said more than enough about this episode today. Fun day uh, for fantasy fans to have another Game of Thrones show out in the world. And uh, yeah, definitely going to be tuning in next week, 9.01 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday. <laughs> uh, but until then, guys, we will... Uh, Talk to you later. Oh, sure, we'll have all kinds of other content interspersed throughout this uh, House of the Dragon stuff. You know, we're still reading books and all that. Sure. And uh, but yeah. um, next week then, we have a book coming your way that we're very excited about. Yes, yes, and I, you know, we already recorded that, and I thought it was a really great discussion. I'm excited to share that with with you, the listeners. Me too. But you know what? I'm ex- yeah. also what I'm excited to share. That sweet, 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 sweet outro, outro music. music. You got it. <laughs> what do you say? Get it? Get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today, do us a favor and give us a shout out over on social media. That's Instagram at the FTF Podcast and Twitter at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end. Now, if you like what you heard today and you want to support the show even further beyond social media, Dylan, what can they do? toss five stars to our podcast and you have the option to do that on either apple Podcasts or on spotify where most of you folks are listening to us so it's super easy over on spotify it's right there at the top of the friends talking fantasy feed and throwing us five stars does so much to help us but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for tuning in Thank you so much for tuning in. Just listening, you've already done more than enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.